The Great Canadian Talk Show. There's only a couple of watts, but I brought the truth to everyone within three blocks of the West Side of Campus. No way! Yes way! And now, let's get right down to business with Marty Gold. Welcome to the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, episode two in season number two. A bit of a different formatting today as I am, over the course of the weekend, going to be in Saskatchewan at a couple of, uh, hosting a couple of events. And so uh, in this podcast, I'm going to provide a commentary here off the front end. Uh, there'll be a, a fast turnaround. The Spirit of Kenny will be contributing some unknown but interesting material of his own choosing. And then I'll be back to wrap things up. Um, I think that the first thing that uh, I should uh, address in terms of, uh, well, first thing I should do before I even get to the commentary, I want to thank all of you who've uh, provided us with such uh, pleasant and positive feedback to our uh, lead-off presentation for 2023, uh, and uh, your words of encouragement are well taken. We are looking forward to uh, covering uh provincial politics to bring that back into the fold as much as uh, we do civics. Uh, and in accordance with that, why well, I want to take a look very quickly at a uh, topic of interest provincially this past week, and that is the uh, apparent departures of many members of the uh, ruling progressive conservative government of Heather Stephenson uh, as off into the sunset. A number of the PC MLAs, cabinet ministers, are going, having uh, indicated they are uh, done, at least at the provincial level, with public life. Um, among that uh, that list uh, are a number, as I said, of uh, long-standing MLAs and cabinet ministers. None of these people are, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, political rookies. Uh, the first uh, departure from the Stephenson government after she uh, took over the reins from Brian Pallister with Scott Fielding, uh, that... Uh, the former finance, now former finance minister, that was not unexpected. Uh, uh, other cabinet ministers having announced previously, uh, Eileen Clark this past week, Cliff Cullen and Alan Lajamodier announcing their departure. Uh, former cabinet ministers like uh, Ralph Eichler, Blaine Peterson in Midland, uh, Ian Wishart, former education minister out of Portage La Prairie. I don't remember, I apologize, I, I'm not sitting at a desktop right now. I don't remember if Dennis Smook uh, had a cabinet position or not. For some reason, I think he did. Anyways, they're all uh, on the departure list. Uh, and uh, one that I didn't catch when it was announced this week at first, I didn't catch till Friday, uh, was uh, Myrna Drieger. Uh, I'll speak of uh, Myrna in a moment. There are others, uh, and Kathy Cox also. That She was Thursday. I caught the Kathy Cox uh was departing the scene. I didn't catch that Myrna was until, as I say, until the day after that announcement was made. Reg Helwer in Brandon and uh, Kelvin Gertson are uh, hypothetically on the bubble, the uh, media pundits wondering what decisions they're going to make, as well as Shannon Martin. Um, Shannon Martin sought the nomination in Midland and uh, failed to garner it uh, against a conservative establishment favorite. Uh, and Shannon Martin had been parachuted into the gerrymandered riding of, uh, not gerrymandered by the government, just by process, uh, uh, of McPhillips 
uh, in the last election. He's a bit of a fish out of water there, representing parts of Garden City, uh, part uh, and some, um, you know, less urban nowadays. It's 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 hard to define uh, that area as as you know rural. Uh, outside of the, uh, uh, you know, in the West St. Paul area. But in any event, Shannon Martin uh, parachuting in, looking to go back to more comfortable turf. Uh, the reconstituted Midland constituency failed in that attempt. And uh, for what it's worth, here's what I think is or isn't going on. Uh, I don't see Shannon Martin as, I don't think he's very gung-ho about trying to scrap in what would be an extraordinarily tough race in McPhillips. Uh, I think it would be very unusual for a legislative member to lose a nomination in one place and then choose to fight for the nomination. I mean, presumably it'd be sort of handed to him. But the fact that the party establishment bound together uh, to uh, prevent uh, Martin from taking the Midland nomination, I I think that was a strong hint for Shannon Martin to go find another place to be in another uh, another uh, career pursuit. He has a background in advocating for small business previously. Uh, I I it could be they're just going that if he wants to seek the nomination, they might just say, "Well, here you go, good luck." But I don't necessarily see it. Reg Heller, he's very very bright guy. Um, and somebody who was, you know, the scuttlebutt was that there are other uh, members of the Conservative caucus uh, during the Palliser reign, starting at the top, that, uh, how do I put this, felt felt Heller was a political threat to them uh, and tried to keep him in his place, whether Reg has had enough or not, or if he sees himself as a bulwark of a resurgence of the Conservative Party in an election, I I don't have a good hint about. Uh, but if Reg Howard decides to go do other things and leave politics, I wouldn't be surprised. And to to my mind, that would be well earned. Um, you know, it, it could also be you know have something to do with the way the wind is blowing in his riding in Brandon uh, West. I I don't know for sure. Uh, certainly, some of the departing members. Uh, although they've put in their time. Uh, some of them would have a very difficult time on the campaign trail, especially the members in rural Manitoba. Uh, Blaine Peterson uh, represented Midland. Uh, he was not going to have a very happy reception at the door. There are a lot of people in rural Manitoba, in southern Manitoba, that felt that he had betrayed them uh, when uh, he came into government and did nothing to stop the theft by Manitoba Hydro uh, through just ridiculous expropriations of land uh, uh, for the Hydro Corridor. Uh, there's a guy who, who portrayed himself as a, you know, a, somebody who defended the little guy, and when he got into government, just abandoned them. And I don't think he ever really got that stench quite off him, to be honest. Uh, Eileen Clark... Uh, she, I think, also had decided that uh, political life was uh, was done for Lajemodier in Selkirk. I- I'm a little surprised, uh, but then again, his election in Selkirk over Greg Doer. Greg Doer was, you know, a, a, in my mind, a big zero uh, as an MLA. Uh, Lajemodier, a highly qualified individual. Uh, 
but it could be that he's the kind of candidate that sees a writing on the wall. Cliff Cullen, there's a lot said about Cliff Cullen and his influence in the conservative cabinet and his deciding to leave. Again, I can see how the pundits would look at that and think that here's a guy who's, uh, you know, wet his finger and uh, has determined that the direction the wind is blowing isn't necessarily favorable for the government as a whole. I don't know whether he in Spruce Woods, in Spruce Woods would uh, feel any kind of a threat. Uh, Eichler, uh, Ian Wishart's worked hard. Ralph Eichler's worked hard. I can see how they've decided that their time had come for, uh, you know, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense with these guys, but, you know, take their pension and move on to the next phase of life. Um, of all these, I'm just going to quickly review and see if I've not mentioned any of the re-mentioned any of the names. Kelvin Gertson is another one that Bartley Kivas CBC is uh, awaiting to see what Kelvin says and does. I know I've heard that Gertson, I've heard that he's, that he has been leaning towards uh, moving on and leaving his role in as the MLA of Steinbeck. Would not surprise me. He's also been around quite a long time. Uh, the uh, polis- the political reporters uh, and uh, political scientists, they look at these kinds of things and where all the senior leadership uh, of a party, and especially Gertzen in particular, would be looked as an abandoning ship thing. And that brings me to Myrna Drager. I know Myrna. I'd say the ones that I... Uh, no, best, or have, been, have a long, longest-standing relationship and are collegial with, and have always been on friendly terms with, is Kelvin Gertzen and Myrna Drieger. And uh, Myrna, in particular, um, I speak very highly of. Uh, she she did, a, in my opinion, a pretty good job as speaker in a very fractious house. I think she would have made an excellent health minister, and my presumption is that she decided that that was one uh, fire she was not going to jump into with both feet and, and took the speakership instead. Um, I always found her to be an honest, hardworking person. Uh, always listened to the concerns that uh, I raised going back to, again, going back to our time on Kick FM, on City Circus. I know a number of these MLAs I've just mentioned were big fans of the TV show. Uh, Peterson, for one. Uh, was, uh, 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 Wishart was, uh, uh, Gertzen used to have a good laugh at some of the uh, antics that we would uh, pull on City Circus. Um, what was remarkable was that uh, Myrna f- felt compelled to issue a tweet deriding critics who claimed that this was an abandoning ship uh, and, and insisting that on her part. And if I'm remembering correctly, she was first elected, I think, and this is all off the top of my head, folks, in 95. Um, that's a plenty long run to be hiking on down from Charleswood to Broadway. Uh, and she was pretty animated. Uh, you know, I mean, normally on Twitter, you don't see, uh, I mean, she's pretty enthusiastic about, you know, food and recipes sometimes. <laughs> but uh, she was, came across being pretty pissed off that anybody would portray her as having abandoned her party uh, in favor of, you know, political considerations. I, I mean, I don't see that... I don't see that Myrna Trieger would have been seriously challenged in Charleswood by uh, any opposition parties. I, 
I suppose I could be wrong, but it seems to me that she was a personally well-liked individual whose popularity would rise above the lingering unpopularity of Brian Pallister and the inability of Heather Stephenson to uh, restore confidence in the broadest sense in the uh, in the conservative administration. Uh, but as I say, it was notable to me that uh, Myrna spoke up and spoke up very loudly and vociferously, if you can imagine volume on a tweet, uh, with regards to her leaving public life. Um, I, if there's one that I would miss uh, on a personal level, it would be Myrna because her door was always open to me. And I can tell you that there's, there's things I was able to run past her, ask her about with regards to procedures in the house, with regards to uh, MLAs uh, and the role MLAs have in the house. And she was never, never um, dismissive, abrupt, rude, any of those things in my dealings with, with her. Now, this also means you've got about 20, I think there was 36 MLAs. You've got about, uh, geez, I think it's 10. Kathy Cox, I think, was the 10th. Um, you could be looking at a 33%, 12 out of 36 turnover of the uh, MLAs that had been previously elected who have chosen uh, to leave uh, public life since the last election. And that would be a sizable turnover. Uh, it would be interesting who would be looking to join Kevin Klein as uh, new members of a conservative caucus. Uh, I admit to I admit to you, my loyal audience, I've been a uh, little occupied this past week, week and a half. Haven't put my ear to the ground yet. Ears to the ground? Uh, quite yet to try to pick up on who the new class uh, might be. I know that, you know, when I think back to 2000 and I think it was 2011, and there were some very good candidates that Hugh McFadden had. The McFadden campaign pulled far, way too far to the left. And in my opinion, that campaign sunk a lot of, sunk a potential conservative government and sunk uh, a, a number of those good candidates, none of whom I think are going to like reemerge or anything of the sort. But he had. Uh, in that camp, there was uh, uh, respected veteran broadcasters. There was an Olympic champion, uh, star candidates who failed to uh, failed to garner entry into the legislature, and uh, the conservatives were left in the wilderness until the Pallister victory in 2016. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see who may decide they want to hop on board and become the new generation of leadership. Certainly, if uh, you know, you know. I don't want to put the cart before the horse because there is one other thing I, I want to make mention of. Um, there continues to be concern expressed in whispered tones about the health of our premier. Uh, Heather Stephenson uh, has not made that I'm aware of any public appearances through the Christmas season. Uh, it appears that she has been under the weather since November she has battled previous health problems, and I realize that some of it is a rumor mill that will by nature be um, malicious, might be too strong of a term, um, but uh, not seeking to do Heather Stephenson any favors. But the whispers 
about her health, about whether she will have the stamina for a long campaign or even for a short campaign, um, what she will do to try to put a new face on on the government and the party. Um, there are there are some questions out there about which direction this is going, whether she may join uh, the speaker and a number of members of her cabinet and former members of the cabinet she served in with Pallister, if she's going to join them out in the political pasture. Uh, I have no inside information on any of this, um, but it, it, I keep getting asked this. So it's going around, and it is a concern that people um, are expressing. Uh, if, if, in fact, the premier is going to um, take her leave... Then there's a question of timing because the Conservative Party would have to hold some sort of a leadership process to replace her. And then you have the question of, well, you have a leader. Do you then try to have them um, appear in the House and lead a session, which I, th- I personally think is the, the most beneficial to a party going through that kind of a change? I think running a leader who hasn't sat in the House uh, as Premier um, and I know it's, it cuts both ways, but I, I think you're better off trying to sell somebody who's, who's stood up in the legislature, who's made speeches, who's presented legislation, than somebody who's coming in as a newbie. Uh, and it, it changes the dynamics of the race. In effect, though, in effect, though, as I uh, alluded to, whether Heather Stevenson is the leader or not, she's leading a party where it's, it's becoming increasingly difficult for the opposition parties to point the fingers at Pallister. Now, they're plenty happy to point fingers at Heather Stephenson, uh, uh, whether they whether it's a health care crisis or this or that. They're happy to point fingers at her. Um, but the wholesale turnover of key figures from the Pallister government uh, makes it more difficult for a, uh, a Wabkanu-led NDP to run against the Pallister record per se. And I think it also, new candidates, in particular if there's a new premier, a new premier, a new conservative leader, uh, I think there'll be a reinvigorated effort to put Wab Canoe's public record in front of the voters and try to sow uh, seeds of doubt about whether he is, in fact, premiership material. Uh Personally, uh, I would, I would, I would just demonstrate the number of times that Rachel Notley and Canoe are rubbing shoulders, and point at Rachel Notley and ask Manitobans, "Do you want something like that?" Uh, then again, that's basically what they would be doing with Canoe, anyways. Is pointing a finger at him and saying, "Is that do you want something like that?" In terms of his his past record, and they're still in his past, um, unresolved questions uh, that. Uh, he needs to address and should have addressed already and failed to do so uh, from his personal life, from uh, his run-ins with the law. Uh, and in fact, uh, that there was another run-in at one point in Ontario that he had not disclosed, if I'm remembering this correctly, hadn't disclosed in his autobiography, which people thought was a convenient omission. Um, I, in all this, I have not mentioned uh, the Liberals and uh, Dougal Lamont. They've got a tough road. I. Uh, for there to be a breakthrough, I don't know what kind of platform Lamont could bring forward that would inspire Manitobans to park their vote 
with the liberals and bring them up to party status, or beyond that, to create a Carstairs environment where the th- languishing and deep third place party, remarkably, uh, emerges with widespread support and becomes the official opposition. Uh, I I was around in the Carstairs era. There was a very exceptional set of circumstances with a, a leader who was an except cut an exceptional figure at the time. Um, uh, with the the kind of leaders who were being presented, Manitoba, uh, with the poly government collapsing, Carstairs, uh, she she almost pulled off something until she self-destructed. Uh, I, I don't see the same kind of circumstance falling together for Duke with Lamont. In fact, if the Liberals continue to languish with three seats, uh, and this without considering whether they could lose one, I suppose there's one other question I've had. And again, I have no discussion with anybody about this. Uh, and that's whether John Gerard is going to uh, call it a day at the same time as all these conservative uh, uh, colleagues have done so. Uh, John's been a legislature. Jeez, uh, it's I, I have to remember what he was like. But it's nigh on twenty years now, and uh, it, I I am wondering I am wondering whether he's going to uh, decide that uh, it's time to enjoy uh, bird watching with his wife and and retirement or not. But if the liberals, if they don't have a breakthrough, I don't know what what's going to become of the Liberal Party in Manitoba, aside from being a a a very uh, you know, very minor league farm team, a development league for the federal liberals. And uh, the, in my opinion, the federal liberals continue to be an albatross, uh, a giant horseshoe uh, around the neck of the Manitoba Liberal Party, which which just skews so far to the left. You know, if only the if only a liberal party was a liberal party like they used to be, and maybe actually have some policy that appeals to small business, uh, to entrepreneurs. And wasn't just a, you know, a a a, um, a different woke version of what people people here are coming out of the NDP opposition. Uh, it makes you wonder whether there's a way for a Liberal Party to chisel some votes uh, away from the Conservatives. But even if they do so, they'd have to identify ridings where, um, where they they would have a chance of a breakthrough. I don't know who the liberal strategists are. I'm not saying that they are aren't bright people. I know that the NDP's got a particularly uh, highly regarded strategists uh, who are planning uh, a path to victory for Wab Canoe. I think they're planning a path to victory for Wab Canoe. Uh, I don't know where the Liberal Party stands, but uh, as long as as long as Manitoba is a two horse race, it makes it easier for the Conservatives to go well. You may not be happy with us, but you really want more of this. And, uh, you know, if if an election pivots on the question of, do you want somebody like Nahani Fontaine as justice minister? Uh, do you want somebody like Tom Lindsay uh, as, uh, as a labor minister? Uh, the... The NDP caucus is is in itself uh, has a bit of a split in it, and some of them are, are identified by voters as being way too close to Marxism for the comfort of taxpayers. So uh, I I personally would oh one other thing while we're at it I guess what Green Party there I said it you see, watch how much ink and airtime the Green Party gets from me from the media 
while, again, failing to even come close to uh, e- e- any, you know, se- never mind first place finishes, second place finishes. Uh, the it's um, it, I'd prefer to see more competitive races, I admit, but I just don't see that the political leadership, the class political leadership, holds a lot of appeal for Manitobans. Nonetheless, those that have served, as Kevin Klein pointed out uh, in a video that he put up uh, with regards to this, uh, they've uh, served loyally. They have uh, some of them were very good cabinet ministers. Let's uh, not all of them, not all of them. I don't want to go too far. But some of them were very good at, at what they were assigned to do uh, in the early years of the Pallister uh, administration. Uh, and as I said, when it comes to, uh, to Myrna, uh, that's – Myrna had I'll, – I'll close with this. Myrna had uh, the – is it the, the – you know, the, the open house for Christmas that the legislature traditionally had. Myrna had a nice pe- – in the speaker's office, lots of room. The best spread – by far, and there was some great food all throughout the building, but boy, going in her office, you're, you're booking an appointment, you're going to be there for a good 20 minutes, checking out all the uh, all the smoked meats and the dainties and everything else, and uh, on a personal level, I will certainly, I certainly wish her well. She, she always treated, uh, not just myself, but the, the interns from Kick FM that would uh, contact her to appear on our program, uh, Always had lots of time for 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 uh, for us, uh, and she was a heck of a good guest on radio. I'll tell you that, uh, and that's somebody that uh, that uh, I will look at uh, among the MLAs I've known over this over the last uh, half century. It's about a half century I've known MLAs. Oh my god, uh, that's somebody that uh, that I look at with uh, that that I will look back on uh, with uh, with a great degree of. Uh, of of uh, of fondness, uh, so to speak, a uh, great deal of respect for her. Uh, we're gonna just quickly go to a break. Uh, Kenny, I'm throwing it to you. Uh, you'll hear from Kenny, and then uh, I'll be back to wrap things up on this edition of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast. Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? So I was going to talk about how awesome the Green Party is, but I guess we'll move on from that one. I saw that some people were stuck in Mexico. Some people from Winnipeg were stuck in Mexico. And it's a big tragedy because Mexico has ascended into anarchy. Winnipegger Scott Nairneck rang in the new year with his family in Mazatlan, Mexico. The family of five won one last trip together before the oldest began university. Oh, that's so sweet. Listen, being stuck in Mexico in January isn't a problem. Getting stuck on Winnipeg Transit after dark that's a serious problem, unless you got ninja stars. But the real story I want to talk about is the city of Winnipeg is looking to reduce their speed limit to 40 kilometers per hour on residential speeds, which is a silly idea because you can't get up to 40 kilometers an hour on the streets of Winnipeg anyway. There's always a stop sign 100 feet away, or there's huge potholes, or there's other people driving. But let's compare and contrast the CTV story and the global news story. We'll do alphabetical first, so CTV, let's do it. The headline is, City looks to move forward with pilot project to lower residential speed limits. And this is by Jeff Keel. Drivers could soon have to slow down in Winnipeg for four neighborhoods. The city is planning on moving ahead with a pilot project to lower the default speed limit in selected areas. Borkvale resident Billy Johnstone says people sometimes drive too fast in his neighborhood, tucked between Portage Avenue and the Assiniboine River. 
Listen, if people are breaking the speed limit is the problem, then lowering the speed limit isn't going to change their behavior. It's going to change the behavior of everyone else around them. All the law-abiding people, the people that live in that neighborhood, they're going to have to slow down. Not the people that are breaking the law or already speeding. There needs to be another solution to this problem. But back to the story. They go by quick and upsets a number of residents who have been here for quite a while. It takes so little to upset people nowadays. I mean, I would have figured this guy would have been in their 40s, 50s, you know, homeowner in Winnipeg. But it sounds like, you know, this guy's just fresh out of college, worried about people driving up and down the street. The speeds will be lowered to 40 kilometers an hour in Richmond West and Worthington neighborhoods. The areas, two newly constructed and two older ones, were chosen to get data on various neighborhoods layouts so the city so the city can make recommendations for citywide residential speed limits down the road. Aha, uh-huh. great pun. That's like something worthy of the sun. Now, Councillor Janice Lukes, chair of the City Public Works Committee, said, we're looking at traffic calming in neighborhoods and we've seen a huge desire. I'll call it a public outcry. I envision ultimately, as our city grows, our density increases and that eventually it'll be a citywide initiative. A public outcry. I haven't seen a public outcry for reducing speed limits in residential areas. A public outcry is what happened in Ottawa a couple years ago. This is not a public outcry. This is like one or two people calling in to 311, complaining about the speed limits. Complaining about the people, not even complaining about the speed limits, but complaining about people speeding. But back to what Jeff wrote. Councillor Jeff Berwadi from North Cardonan feels 30 or 40 kilometers is too slow on residential streets. He worries this could be seen as a potential cash grab for ticket drivers. Oh my word. They're trying to slow down speed limits so that they can make bigger tickets. You can't legislate common sense, uh, Barati says. 50 kilometers an hour under perfect conditions on these streets is appropriate. But again, you have to slow right down when it's not safe to travel at these speeds. And that's already the current law. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Jeff Barati, hey, nice job. The pilot project is expected to cost around $400,000, including the cost to install new speed limit signs. That's um, uh, $400,000 to change some signs. It's pretty... Uh, it's pretty neat. Pretty neat indeed. I'm sure they're green. Not not literally, of course. Now, this is where the fun begins. We're already having fun, but this is where more fun begins. Let's switch over to the Global News article written by Rosanna Hempel. I hope I said that right. Winnipeg, an outlier among major Canadian cities that have reduced residential speed limits. You can feel the shame already raining down upon us. If it was spring, I'd say, get your raincoat. We got a shame party to go to. My word, but let's get into it. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just reading too much into it. People in other major cities across the country are already driving slower in their neighborhoods as Winnipeg considers a pilot project to reduce residential speed limits on its own. Okay, uh, that's interesting. Uh, in respect to Winnipeg remains a outlier, Ahmed Shalbaya of the University of Manitoba said, Wow, so this is kind of a cool story. We're getting the University of Manitoba feel to it. It's not talking to the residents in the area, so it's a kind of a different story. Let's see what they have to say. Most other jurisdictions in North America have a default speed limit in residential areas of, you know, 40 kilometers an hour or 25 miles per hour, which is the same thing. Well, thanks, Professor. Uh, we are at 50, uh, the professor said. As he talked to CJOB, the start reducing speed limit gives everyone more time to react, the professor said. Most places in North America have freeways 
and well-thought-out, well-maintained infrastructures that allow you to drive from one place to another without trying to skirt across school zones. People actually thought out, hey, we don't want people to drive in school zones all the time. Here in Winnipeg, it's like, ah, school zones are sometimes... Look at your GPS. You type in one place to another place, you know there's a a school zone you got to go through. That's the fastest way because the GPS doesn't care about the name of the streets and how many people are on the streets. They're just looking at the fastest way. The city is built by, I don't know. I don't know what you say. If I said incompetent, it would be a slight to incompetent people. But the city is is planned out so poorly. But moving on back to this story. The issue is vehicles are becoming much larger right now on the road. Taller, larger blind spots, the professor said. Also, vehicles are more powerful than they have ever used to be. What, is, what does he think people are driving? That they're just like, while you're driving your vehicle, it's just getting bigger and bigger as momentum increases and increases. It's not a tra- Vehicles stay the same size. We're not all driving buses down residential streets. This is a little bit, no. Blind spots, yeah. Blind spots are only a problem if you're backing up. But who's backing up going 40 in school zones? No one is. This is a ridiculous statement. This guy, does, does he even drive in Winnipeg? I don't know. People aren't driving backwards. People are driving forwards. This is a ridiculous statement. All right, back to the article. One of Canada's top 10 largest population centers, Winnipeg, is the only one that either hasn't already explored a pilot project, uh, made plans to lower residential speed limits, or have already lowered the speed limits. Oh, see, you feel that shame. Every other city in Canada has already lowered the speed limits, or, or they're looking, we must be awful people. It means that we don't care about you know, pedestrians. We don't care about kids going to school. Now get this, because I've read the article before I presented this. This is this is the the sixth article. This is the sixth paragraph in this story, and there's thirteen paragraphs. So there's seven paragraphs left. Guess how many times they mention Winnipeg in this story after this paragraph? Yeah, that's right, zero point zero. So a story titled about Winnipeg only has. 45% content in Winnipeg. Everything else is about Calgary. It's about Waterloo. It's about what other cities are doing and the trials and tribulations that nothing about Winnipeg. Global news. Nothing about Winnipeg. But the last line is this. No matter which city you live in, the hope is the same. Keeping people safe by slowing them down. I thought we were trying to keep the pedestrians safe. By slowing the drivers down, not slowing the people down to keep them safe from themselves. This is the silliest thing that I've ever read. We're trying to keep people safe by slowing them down. We're slowing down the people going to school. The kids are going to be slower. No, that's dumb. So the CTV story, it it says there's a public outcry in Winnipeg that we need to slow these things down. The global news story that's not about Winnipeg, it's about other cities and a little bit about Winnipeg, is that everyone else is moving forward by slowing things down. Jeff Berwai is the only one speaking the truth, saying that, yeah, we're trying to increase ticket prices. We're trying to increase the money we make from tickets by increasing the how fast you're going. We're not trying to slow people down. We're not actually trying to do things that make residential areas safer for the people living in it. No, we still want those people to drive down there. We just want this the speed limit to be lowered so they have to pay more fines. Well, that'll do. The Great Canadian Talk Show is brought to you by The Hive Hair Company. From classic to funky, the styles of your life are at The Hive in the heart of the Osborne Village at 175 Osborne. Call 452-4483 or online, thehivehaircompany.com. 
And back to wrap things up on this edition of the podcast. Um, I'll start with this. Your support is going to be absolutely crucial to being able to provide fulsome, independent, current affairs coverage and election coverage. Uh, and I mention that because I need to get an early, an early start on this and we need to get a head start on this. And so for those of you that are loyal listeners, please do me and do Kenny a favor and share these podcasts, share your favorite episodes uh, with others who take an interest in journalism. I generally, uh, for somebody that lived and died uh, by the content of the evening newscasts, uh, the local evening newscasts, dinner to the supper time casts, they're almost uniformly unwatchable. Uh, this this week, I think it was on Thursday, uh, Janet Stewart, uh, uh, who seems to make less mistakes than she used to, uh, she cheerfully introduced a brand new segment that you're going to be bringing us this year, like this week in Brandon. Uh, if they had tried to present that as part of uh, what I recall it was like in the CRECOM program at Red River College in 2008-2009, it would not have received a passing grade. Uh, instead of having a correspondent in Brandon who's vivid, who's passionate, who's articulate, who can engage in a conversation, they basically had a scripted interview that was... It's not even a scripted interview because you're not you're not really interviewing the other person. You're just giving them setup lines, right? Oh, you know the whatever they were talking about the royal fair and this and that, and which by the way wasn't something they were talking about necessarily. But you get the idea. And horrible. Tell us more. And this person, uh, and I don't know if she's, I don't know. I actually don't know if she's a CBC reporter or just somebody from the community in Brandon. I. I got the impression it was a, a Brandon reporter or stringer or something. I uh, that does not meet the standards of a national broadcaster or a major regional broadcaster. It would barely cut the mustard at Shaw TV. That's how craptacular it was. And let me tell you, the other newscasts, uh, not very good. Uh, the. Reporting is uh, through a particular kind of lens. Uh, you can imagine what kind of a lens it tends to be. Uh, there's very little investigative reporting going on. Um, CBC does uh, some, but they've got the budget for it. Uh, we need more news coverage, not less. We need more news commentary, public affairs commentary, not less. That is the niche in the marketplace that we have provided uh, at different points since 2006 here in Winnipeg. Uh, and it could be very labor intensive and we're willing to put in the work, but we need your support. And to build that support, we need to grow our audience, to grow our uh, people that listen, people that provide us feedback, people that say, hey, you should cover our story. Or we want you to bring this issue or these questions up at City Hall. And so I'm asking you regular listeners, that's right, you, and you and you and you stop and think, who can I send these podcasts to? 
and just 10. Pick out 10 friends and go, I think you should listen to this. You'll find this interesting. You'll find this provocative. You'll find this something you you, you actually hate. Go ahead. Send it to people that hate it. Um, but this has to be a, a real grassroots effort because I'm not working with, we're not working with any, just like Kick FM. There's no pr- promotion budget here. Come to think of it, just like Shot TV. There's no promotion budget here. And so I want to get an early start on that. And if you are so inclined and have anything left over that you didn't disburse during your Christmas festivities, uh, you'll see in the episode description uh, that you can make donations and contributions towards these podcasts. And our intention is absolutely, you know, for the civic election, I wanted to revive City Circus. And we've just, like in the last couple of days, this subject has come up again. We want to try to uh, put together a, a well-rounded um, roster of uh, current affairs offerings, both in terms of audio, video, commentaries, uh, and and uh, news coverage. And uh, it can be very time-consuming. And to do something like that, we need to have a, a, a good, stable financial base uh, there's nothing fancy here. There's no fancy fundraising that goes on. This is very much a grassroots effort. And those of you that are so inclined, uh, that have been enjoying our coverage of the civic election and our episodes since where we reviewed the best podcast of the year, newsmaker uh, of the year, uh, uh, please take the time. Uh, there's also an email address if, uh, if PayPal doesn't work for you. Uh, there's other ways that we can arrange to receive your contribution and put it to, uh, to good use, uh, paying the, uh, you know, paying the expenses that come up in, in, uh, doing this kind of work. Uh, and I, as I indicated with the civic election, I don't know how much more time, uh, how many more years I can engage in this practice that was really taught to me by Nick Turnett, uh, by Yoram Hamizrahi, by Wade Williams, by activists, of the 1980s and 1990s, uh, and your support will ensure that I'm able to dedicate myself to this cause uh, and to bringing forward stories that Winnipeg needs to hear. Par exemple, I know that there are individuals that are surprised that I keep going back to the well, that Kenny and I keep going back to the well when it comes to the subject of who carries, who shoulders blame for the state of our city? Machetes on buses, um, people establishing residency in bus shacks. And I keep pointing the finger back at the guy who was in the mayor's chair, Brian Bowman. And Brian Bowman was such an inept mayor. He has put this city so far into the uh, uh, so far into the jackpot that a business that received a mayor's biz award in 2019 ended up going out of business in terms of retail, leaving Cordon Avenue, and besides the escalating costs, Radiance Gifts was pushed into uh, revoking their membership in the Cordon Avenue Club because of shoplifting. And uh, Lisa Chaden, who uh, was the owner of the store, um, 
that has now been transferred into a warehouse. So it's, it's not the same as being able to go and shop. You could fill orders online, et cetera, et cetera. As she says, we're still a local business. That's a perspective that's difficult for people to understand. We're still contributing to our community. What kind of contributions did she make to the community? Well, in 2019, uh, Robert Young wrote a lovely little story about uh, Lisa, uh, was the Corden Area nominee for the Biz Award. Uh, from 1995, they provided all sorts of spiritual healing and earth wisdom traditions. Okay, so it's a, what uh, in previous incarnations we would have called an airy-fairy kind of store, but it has a place certainly in Winnipeg and in this marketplace. She contributed to the CEO Sleepout, Change for the Better, the Never Alone Foundation, the I Am Love Project to make Corden and the city a better place for all and supports local suppliers and artisans as Western Canada's largest metaphysical headquarters and crystal supplier. They produced 100 events and workshops through the year, closed because of, among other things, security and shoplifting. Do we want to see the city turn into Portland or San Francisco? Brian Bowman didn't give two shits. I'm going to repeat myself. He didn't give two shits. Brian Bowman, who, as I understand it, never had any experience in business whatsoever. None. I remember he, when he ran for mayor, he tried to claim he was a small businessman because he had a law. He was a, 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 a law practice at Portage and Maine. That'll be the day that anyone can define a, a lawyer at Portage and Maine as a small business. But Brian Bowman did. He giveth the words with the one hand. And with the other hand, he failed to show leadership when it came to the crime and degeneracy that has made people fearful of taking buses for fear of machetes, bear sprays, having phones swiped out of their hands. And has created a situation where I, I'll give you one example, in St. Boniface, find a, an, a, a not just a store, find a place that's open that doesn't have security now. Scotiabank, security. Shoppers Drug Mart, security. Now the bank, you can figure, well, yeah, but it's not really a high-volume neighborhood branch. It's because of, I know people don't like hearing these kinds of words, it's because of I'm going to be kind here. People who fall through the cracks, people who, who are aimless and lost, people who need help. Unfortunately, they're helping themselves to, to just call, walking into the bank and causing disturbances. And to be fair, my understanding is that this has been vastly reduced by the presence of security, just the presence, you know, the visible presence. Whether this has affected the shoplifting problem at the, uh, at the shoppers, uh, I don't know. And I, I told a story... I think it was on this series of podcasts, um, but certainly in the past about the 7-Eleven at, is it Stella and Salter, that when they first opened, about a year after they opened, and uh, I was uh, um, doing shift work at the time, so I'd be going in there, you know, uh, you know, like in the evenings, like at night. 
And the clerks at night they were very free in discussing the level of shoplifting in that store. This is a few years ago. There was approaching $5,000 a month. How do stores stay open when they're losing that much? Or, you know, Lisa put it, shrinkage. The technical term for losing inventory because it isn't paid for and it walks out the door courtesy of a thief. The significant cost that sort of drove us to this was actually shrinkage, the shoplifting. So that made the decision more palatable. And yes, part of this is the courts and the, the, the revolving door and other factors where, where you have this disorder that is allowed to spread. Do we want to become Portland? Do we want to become San Francisco? Do we want to become Vancouver? We're well on the way to that. And, uh, I, I know that we're still owed a, an interview uh, with uh, Mayor Gillingham, when I say, oh, there was a commitment made during the campaign and, and uh, we just haven't uh, pulled the trigger on that yet. But I'm, I'm expecting that in the near future I will. And what the city can do to provide confidence to retailers that they can open their stores and that the city will do its utmost to restore public order, to push the province, whoever is the government of the day, uh, to ensure that there are meaningful consequences for people. Do we want a city with no retailers left? Never mind how high prices are going to continue to drive retailers and restaurants out of business. We, we know that that's coming. But this is an area where the city uh, needs to come up with a game plan. Uh, and uh, it's... When a neighborhood loses, especially a business that's been around for 25 years, just look at Osborne Village for, uh, for an example of things that go sideways. As a matter of fact, I'll give you an example from Osborne Village. There's a, um, a, a, a jewelry store that was located on River, and they relocated instead to uh, Osborne, um, Kitty Corner where the zoo was. Across the street from City FM now. And the biggest reason why they moved from their River Avenue location was shoplifting and crime. Break-ins, attempted break-ins. I think they had four break-ins. These things have to be mitigated by public officials and by, by, um, by uh, public safety officials because otherwise, good luck getting insurance. Good luck getting insurance you can afford. And then guess what? There's no business there. There's no business. There's no jobs. There's no economic activity. Uh, and uh, it contributes to the decline of neighborhoods, like, for instance, Osborne Village, which has suffered a precipitous decline. Uh, and and it's like a ghost town now. Uh, I know, compared to the good old days. Well, one of the things that helped kill it was was taking bus service away from the heart of the village up Osborne and thinking people were going to get off at the Osborne station, risk getting uh, mugged or sexually assaulted, and walk the two or three blocks until they get to something, uh, you know, a, a place where they want it to be in terms of shopping. Most people aren't going to get off the Osborne station and go wandering in a Dollarama, right, the corner. They're going to, if they're going to go shopping, they want to go to where the shops are, where there's the density. Uh 
this is not a story that's reported very often locally by the media, I think, because you've got a lot of reporters that have never worked a day in their life at, uh, at, in the retail environment um, and, and who don't have the kind of respect for retailers that, uh, that maybe these newsrooms should. Uh, because when you're forever braying about uh, the evils of capitalism on your Twitter account, uh, then you're not, you're not very inclined to be too concerned with those capitalists trying to, you know, eke out a living as a small business. Uh, but again, I look at this where, on the one hand, Brian Bowman could hand out an award, and on the other hand, uh, turn a blind eye to the concerns that the retailers had about violence and uh, and and theft. Uh, you know, shoplifting was a, a term that was used to be, it meant somebody who would lip, boost something, right? And like, try to conceal it, right? They're shoving stakes down their pants like they're Randy Savage, whatever. Now it's outright theft because there are people that, uh, well, look at the liquor marts. Was That wasn't shoplifting. That was theft. They just walk right out. They're not trying to hide the bottles. I mean, they're putting them in a backpack is easier to carry. Very sad state of affairs in the city. And I do hope that the uh, Gillingham administration uh, and the council as a whole can put their minds to enhancing the uh, the security, the safety of retailers so that uh, we have more stores, not less, more people putting up their own capital to provide employment and not less, and more consequences for this is not people shoplifting. Listen, nobody's walking into a... <laughs> Nobody's walking into a. Uh, how is it? Uh, how is it to describe the? the um, uh, l- l- let me look back again. Winnipeg's largest metaphysical headquarters. Boy, that's an awful lot of bad karma. Those people were bringing in to that retail space that had been there for over a quarter of a century. It's a lot of bad karma they were bringing in. And they weren't stealing shit because they were going to like, you know, hmm, I'm hungry. I think I'll steal some crystals. And in some cases, you know, I mean, most cases in that store, they're stealing stuff, they're boosting it, and they're going to fence it, right? They're going to sell it off. But uh, this is not a strictly speaking sust- sustenance, I guess would be the word, subsistence, uh, level kind of activity. Uh, this is Greed. Uh, it's a, a way of life for some people. And, uh, I personally, you know, I don't put up, I personally don't put up with the excuse of, well, they're an addict. And the next thing you know, somebody swinging a machete at somebody or throwing a punch. I drove cab. I was in close proximity to all sorts of individuals, a couple of whom, uh, became violent in the confines of a taxi cab. And, uh, I know of what I speak, uh, in that regard. Uh, and uh, it's not so easy to have sympathy for some people who put themselves in a situation where they know, as Wob Canoe knew when he got into that taxi cab in, what was it, 2004, when they go into a, 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 a commercial space, a retail space, a taxi cab, and, and they know they aren't about to pay. They know 
they're going to walk out with something that doesn't belong to them. They know they're going to try to commit a robbery. I don't have a lot of sympathy for that. There might be individual cases where you could have sympathy. I personally, not a lot of sympathy for that because one thing that nobody talks about, ever ever since that girl got got uh, KO'd at the liquor the liquor mart, was it on Burroughs, Burroughs and Kuwaitin, you don't really hear a lot about the effects uh, of these violent acts on store clerks, on cashiers, uh, on store owners, even on the security guards, where they get assaulted. Uh, and uh, maybe it's something we'll be shedding more of a light on uh, through the, the rest of this year. Maybe we can find a way to put it on the agenda of the provincial election. Not a bad idea. Uh, I, and so accordingly, it's, uh, I'm sure you've heard enough from me. Uh, I'm thanking Kenny remotely for his contribution to this program. We should be able to coordinate... Uh, more traditional joint broadcast next uh, next week. Uh, and uh, I want to express my appreciation for those of you that tuned in. You can uh, get, see where the email address is. The PayPal, uh, the PayPal link is in the episode description. And on behalf of Spirit of Kenny and myself, thank you for listening to the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast. And remember, as always, you have the power. Thanks for listening to The Great Canadian Talk Show. If you want to email Marty, send it to tgcts1 at gmail.com. Or follow him on Twitter at tgcts1.